Thanks for joining us for the City Church Podcast. More information on City Church is available at www.ourcitychurch.org. Friends, we've got some big dreams, some wild things going on, some wild things going on, and it is, uh, it is only the beginning. So um, today, uh, you know, last night we helped organize the Connecticut Night of Worship and um, just a powerful time really powerful time for those of you that were there. I think most of us were, a lot of us were there, right? Let me see your hand again. I was in the back. Wow. Okay, great. Yeah. Awesome. And so, you know, just an amazing time of worship. And, um, and I had asked um, a friend of mine, his name is Matt Bennett. He's the president of Christian Union, uh, a campus organization that's just doing great things on Ivy League schools across uh, the Northeast and um, to come and speak today. Unfortunately, Matt, um, his apartment in New York City is flooded and has no power. And so he was uh, trapped in Denver and we went back and forth this week uh, just communicating, saying, what do you want to do? Do you want to try to still get here? And he's like, well, if they turn the power back on, I really would like to come and speak. And I said, well, you know, I'd really like you to come and speak. And so by about Wednesday, he said, well, I'm just not sure. Could you please just, you know, either plan somebody else to be there or, you know, if you want to risk it, we can risk it. And I prayed about it and I felt like the Lord said, risk it, Justin. I'm going to give you a word. And so I prayed and I felt like the Lord gave me a word to share. And I just emailed him back and said, Matt, if you can come, you can come. If not, I have a word that I feel like God wants me to share. And so he emailed me Friday night and said, I can't get out. I can't get out of Denver. And so um, I knew that the Lord really wanted to do something special uh, this morning. And um, so I say that to say that if you've been around, you know that we've been in a series called How to Stop Sinning, right? How to Stop Sinning. And we're walking through Romans chapter six and we have one more week of How to Stop Sinning. We're gonna walk through the last few verses of Romans six. However, that will, uh, we're gonna put that on the bench for one week and we'll get to that next week. Uh, this week, we're going to, I'm gonna share a specific message um, that I really feel like is timely. I feel like is time for the Lord to, to impress this on our hearts so that we can write the DNA of our community. And so um, it's going to be a message about unity, about what it means to be unified, to try to clarify and be specific about what unity really is and the power that it has on all the different levels of our lives, okay? And so God did a mighty work in the first service. I'm very excited. I think the Lord's going to do a really powerful thing in the next few minutes. So uh, let's pray. And um, if you have a Bible, you're going to want it um, because the, the scriptures will not be up there today. But, uh, but if not, that's fine. You can just listen as I dig into the scripture. But let's ask God to speak to us because I believe he's going to speak to you today. Lord, we welcome you and we thank you that you are a God who is here. Thank you, God, that you're here with us right now in this room. God, we love to worship you, to sing songs that make much of you. Thank you for the cross. God, I pray that you would inspire in us such a big vision, such a big dream that together we could take hold of it to see cities transformed by the gospel. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that, uh, that you would f- enable each of us to hear your voice this morning. God, use me, anoint my lips, take control that you would speak, God, your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, hey, um, a couple cool things about the Connecticut Night of Worship. You were there um, by like 7.04 or something like that. It had filled every seat. 
And they, they allowed us to fill extra seats. We didn't get a total, but it was just around 2,000 people were allowed into the building, which is crazy. So the people that couldn't get in were trapped outside. And I had asked one of my friends, uh, he's a worship leader at, New, at uh, Milford Christian Church. He's actually was the best man of my wedding, one of my closest friends. He was unable, his name's John Chambriello. He was unable to get to the rehearsals. So he wasn't a part of the actual night. But we said, well, maybe you could bring your guitar and just lead some worship outside. And so he texted Jeremiah. And if you were not there, um, this is just really cool. He texted and said, hey man, I just wanted to give you an update on how the outer courts worship service went. Outer court meant outside in the freezing cold. There was roughly 50 to 70 people um, that were uh, turned away at the door, uh, though there may have been more headed... uh, yeah, our, our reports were around two or three, or uh, one or two hundred that was actually turned away, but uh, more trickled slowly in very late. About 30 people stayed to worship and the numbers kept fluctuating. We had a full out worship service outside making some noise until around 9.15. That means for like two hours and 15 minutes, they were outside worshiping Jesus. And it was cold last night, wasn't it? Uh, when they let everybody... Uh, when they let everybody who was left inside, because I don't know what that means. But anyways, so um, that's pretty awesome. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have never in the history of the state of Connecticut seen people wrap around buildings and down city blocks for no celebrity and for no superstar name except the name of Jesus. That is crazy. That sounds to me like people are hungry for awakening. That sounds to me like this region is ready for spiritual renewal. When people start gathering, not because of some celebrity status, superstar Christian person, but instead there's a bunch of worship leaders getting together at the Schubert Theater and they're all gonna worship God and we wanna worship God too. And there's a unity movement that's shifting the dynamic of the church in our region and we wanna be a part of it. And so people are literally waiting outside, some for two hours singing outside because they're so hungry to worship Jesus. Wow. I like that. I've been praying for that since I was a little kid. God is doing something. God is doing something and we need to understand what he's doing. And we need to understand how by the power of the Holy Spirit to maximize the impact of the gospel in our day. So if you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, we're gonna hit a bunch of scripture today. Try to stay with me, Um, but it's gonna feel like we're all over the place and then we're gonna land the plane, okay? So just try to stay with me today. Genesis chapter 11, verse one. I'm reading from the English standard version. Your version might be slightly different. Again, you can just listen or however it's best for you. If you have a Bible app, you can use your version app and pull up ESV and then you can read exactly what I'm reading. So here we go. The whole, if you have a stupid phone, then you need an actual Bible, sorry. Um, only smartphones. Now, the whole world had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. If you've been around church, you're probably familiar with this story. It's kind of a strange one. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Hmm. Now, we realize that in this passage, this is a negative thing, 
right? It's a negative thing. These people are building a city to glorify themselves. They're building a city to feel control and security in themselves. And so it's not a good thing, but God makes a very interesting observation that honestly shocks me. He says, listen, he says, if these people would just do this in unity, they've unlocked a secret door that most live completely unaware of. They've stepped through a supernatural opportunity that if they would do this in unity, it unlocks and removes impossibility. I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of synergy. It's a pretty amazing idea. The fundamental idea of synergy is that I'll just use people for example, but two people working together can accomplish exponentially more than two individuals working on the same project, but separately, okay? So ranchers have discovered this. It's, it's an interesting reality. One rancher found that two horses could pull 9,000 pounds of cargo, two horses, okay? Then they hooked up four horses. Now, if you're good at math, you'd figure, okay, two can pull 9,000, four can pull 18,000, right? No, four could pull 30,000. Interesting, what happened there? Well, we call that synergy. What synergy means is there is a collective power that is unlocked when people step into unity together. Does that make sense to you? It is a supernatural, it probably won't make sense that much because it it really doesn't make sense to me. It's a supernatural release of the power that's latent within humanity that God already planted there and most live ignorant to it. And so there's this mind-blowing verse in verse 6 of chapter 11 of Genesis where God speaks this reality. And I'll read it again. He says, behold, they're one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. My goal today, seriously, my goal today is to blow your mind. Okay? Now, I'm not going to blow your mind, but the power of the Holy Spirit can blow your mind today, can blow your mind with vision that is so much bigger than me and so much bigger than us and so much bigger than you and so much bigger than your struggles and your issues that we could begin to see what God wants to do in our day. And it would become more important than that mortgage that we're having a hard time paying. It would be more important than that family issue that's been really tough. It'd be more important than that health concern that we would see that there is a bigger plan that glorifies Jesus that we get to be a part of. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. So I hope that you'll see that today. Now, interestingly enough, we find in the Bible that God is kind of into cities. He's into cities. He likes cities. So we see in the scripture that the scripture starts with a garden and ends in a city. It starts with a garden, it ends in a city. We see that uh, Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he weeps over the city. Interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul writes letters. Now, at the time that Apostle Paul was writing letters, for example, in Rome, they would say that there were sometimes, most historians would agree, somewhere between 5 and 15 different specific uh, churches in Rome that had different leaders, different elders. But when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, he didn't say to, uh, you, know, Jill, uh, you know, Joe's church or Steve's church. Or, he said to the church of, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't like a trick question, Rome, yeah. To the church of Rome, right? He said to the church of Rome. In other words, he wrote the letter, interestingly enough, not to a specific congregation, but to a church of a city, right? Various congregations, all of one city. So God seems to have, now this happens again in Revelation, where in Revelation, Jesus speaks to seven churches, all once again, churches of cities. So when God looks, you might say, well, you've got that church, you've got this church, and that denomination, and that denomination. But what God sees, try to zoom out and see the perspective of God. God sees the people of God 
in a geographical location and calls them my church. That's how God sees, okay? Very interesting. Now, in Revelation, we see that the bride of Christ is the city of God, and that kind of messes with our minds. Now, interestingly enough, in our day, we are living in a very historically profound city day. In America, 82% of the 300 plus million people live in or around cities in America. So cities really have become the cultural hub and center of life. And so cities don't only just produce the, the, you know, the economic strategies that change the world and the, the global strategies that change the world and all of the uh, financial strategies that change the world, but cities have literally become the shifters in culture. And that if we could impact cities, we can change the world. So let's look at how. Like I said, we're going to dance a little bit. Acts chapter 2. We're going to go to a couple different places. Acts chapter 2, and hopefully you get the bug. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly they, there came from heaven the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So this is what happens. They're, they're together. Now, what does it tell us about it? The King James Version says, this says they were together in one place. What the King James says is they were together in one accord. Is my wife in the room? Come here, sugar. So one accord. Now, interestingly enough, it's not a Honda Accord that it's speaking of. Interestingly enough, this is a musical term. Now, I've been playing music since I was a little kid, and one of the things that I really struggle with is this actual term that I'm trying to illustrate right now. Um, It's this idea that you can sing a note, but someone else can sing a different note, but that different note somehow seems to work with your note, and it makes your note stronger. Musicians call it harmony, right? Right? And you can have multiple harmonies that come along a melody and strengthen the melody. And so what we see here is we see this idea that they were in one accord doesn't mean that they were all the same. It means instead they were all different but focused in the same direction to make the same sound. Okay? So let's try to illustrate this. Um, Give me a C. Now you got to really... Just sing the song, Schneebly. I didn't, I didn't really, you know, I've been singing a lot. Okay, so. So I'm going to be a little sharp probably. But if you sing, How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great. How great is our God. You sing, you're the name. Cause you're the name above all names. And you are worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing how great. Is our 
God. You can stop. You get the idea. What happens is, even though I was a little sharp, what happens is those two voices come together and they sound better together than they do apart. Do you see that? Those two voices unite and something synergistic happens where those voices together make a bigger impact. Now, what happened when these people were in one accord in the scripture? Well, it says 3,000 people were saved. And then it says 5,000 people were saved after that. And just a few chapters later, they've gotten a reputation that by Acts 17, they are known as the people who are turning the world upside down. That's what they're known by. Why? Because there was this supernatural synergistic unity. Let's see it in John 17. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I want you to see it here. Verse 22. This is Jesus in the high priestly prayer. Stay with me. The glory. This is Jesus praying to the Father. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. Whoa. Hold on a second. Pause. Pause. Did the Bible just say that the glory that Jesus lives in, he's given to you? Do you realize that that one reality alone would shift everything in your life if you actually believed it? That you can operate every day in the glory of God. Now the glory of God speaks of his majesty, his splendor, his excellence, his brightness. You can gain the glory of God no, I can't, Justin. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Yes, you can. Second Thessalonians chapter two actually says this, which again is a mind-blowing passage. Second Thessalonians chapter two, he says this in verse 14. The apostle Paul writes, to this he has called you through our gospel. So we've talked much about the gospel here. If you're around here, you'll know that we are centering everything we do at City Church on the gospel, that it's the gospel that's the centerpiece of all that we are as a community. What I mean by the gospel is the good news of Christ, that God made him who knew no sin, that would be Jesus, to be sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. The great exchange, double imputation, God took what was on Christ and put it on me and took what was on me and put it on Christ. This is the greatest news of all time in all of human history. It is the good news. It settles the question of unity with God for all time. If you're living in a place of uncertainty between you and God, it's because of your unbelief, because God has already settled the issue for all time in Christ by forgiving you of all of your sins. From the day you were born to the day you die, he's not holding your sins against you. If you would repent and believe, you could access that grace. It removes all sin from your life and gives you access to a loving moment by moment, second by second, intimate relationship with God. It's that gospel that then does what? Look what it says in 2 Thessalonians. By this he's called you through that good news, the gospel, so that you may do what? Obtain the glory so that you could walk in the splendor and the majesty and the excellence of God. Let me show you again. In uh, in, uh, Genesis, Genesis, we see that Abraham operated in this glory. In in, uh, In chapter 21, Verse 22, there's a king named Abimelech. At this time, Abimelech and Phicol, bummer of a name, the commander of his army said to Abraham, he meets this guy, this wandering traveler named Abraham, and look at the observation that a pagan king makes about Abraham. He says, God is with you in all that you do. Two chapters later, some other kings speak of Abraham and they say this of him. Hear us, my Lord, you're a prince of God among us. 
What did they recognize about this man? You're carrying something that is divine. You're, ca- you're carrying the glory of God. But look what happens when believers are united by faith through Christ to God. John 17, where we just started. The glory that's been given to me, Jesus said, I give to them, the followers of Christ, that they may be one. Three specific points here. God's glory enables unity. God's glory enables unity. If you want to understand the foundation of unity, and I want to talk about unity on every level, okay? And we're going to get into this in a second, but unity in every level means first you're united with God. And for some of us, this is where you're at. You're not united with God. You need to be. You need to have your sins washed away. You need to be united with God. Secondarily, you're united with those in your family right around you, okay? So secondarily, you build those bridges of unity and God's gonna heal your heart today in Jesus' name in those areas of family disunity, okay? And so you, you have that family unit. Look at, look at the vision of God. You have that family unit, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister. If you're single and maybe you're in college, those people that you're living with and that you're doing life with on a consistent basis operate in that function in your life. He creates that unity in your life in those intimate and close nuclear relationships. And then you take that unit, if you're a family, and you come to the family of families called the church. And so you have people united with God who are united in their family. What's the source? Always the glory of God through the gospel. So through the gospel, by the glory of God, you're united with Christ, and then you're united in your family unit. Then you take that united family unit and you unite in the families of families called the church. And then you take that church unit, that local committed, submitted honoring community of communities and families of families and then you also unite it with churches in your city and now you have the ingredients to change the world one person thought that was awesome so the first step is God, God's glory enables unity. Let's look at the second step in verse 23. It says, so he says, the glory that you've given me, I give to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me. Second thing is that our unity reveals the person of Jesus to the world. The person of Jesus is revealed through the glory of God, getting put on the believers of God, the believers of God loving each other as Christ has loved them, and then through that unity, the world sees Jesus. Do you realize that your disagreements, whoa, your disagreements with your family members are hindering the world seeing Jesus through you? Ooh that the world may know. Let's look at the third thing. It says, the glory that's been given to me, I've given to them so that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, you and me, that the world, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And here's the third thing, and loved them even as you loved me. Our unity reveals the person of Jesus and our unity displays the radical love of God. So let's review and tie this all together with one specific revelation. We see this idea of the Tower of Babel, right? 
and this idea of synergy. We see this idea of how powerful unity can be and how it can actually remove impossibility, right? We talked about that. Then we saw in the book of Acts how these people were in one accord and they spoke with harmony and they lived together in one accord. And as they were in one accord, not just one to God, but now one to their brother, they began to see cities transformed. And then we see that Jesus says, it's actually the glory of God that enables unity. It's God's glory living in you because of Christ through the gospel that you're unified. And so through that unity, the world can then see Jesus. And then the world can understand Jesus's love because it sees Jesus because of the glory of God that's living in you. The big idea that I'm trying to get to is the power of the unified church is God's strategy to transform cities. The power of the unified church is God's strategy to transform cities. Let me try to pull it apart for you now. It begins with you being unified in Christ one to another through the gospel. And then it flows to you being unified in your home, through your friends, through your family, and through your neighbor, uh, in your neighbors, all around in your, in your nu- nuclear circle. Then you take that unified unit and you bring it into the body of Christ. Now, this is an interesting nuance that I didn't understand for a while. For the last 13 months, we planted this church 13 months ago. God's blessing it. We're growing exponentially. We're very grateful for the growth that we're seeing both spiritually and numerically. God's doing a mighty work. It's powerful. It's exciting. But we started off with a very unsure idea of church membership, okay? Uh, because the reality was, you know, I came from a, an experience where I really believed in the global church, and I still do with all of my heart. And I thought to myself, I don't want to ask people to be members. It felt like we were joining the Elks Club or something. You know what I mean? Like, just the whole idea felt weird to me. I felt like if I challenge people into some type of membership covenant, then they're going to feel like, well, I'm with them, and they're with them, and we're not with each other. And it felt like, oh, this doesn't feel like the gospel at all. But what the Lord began to show me is that there are differences of relationships within families, okay? And you know that this is true. So your nuclear family has a certain level of relationship, doesn't it? You see each other every day probably because you, you live at the same house. You use the same toilet, right? And it's those relationships that you go, I take out the trash, my wife you know, mops the floor. That's the way it goes in our home. Most of the time, I take on the trash. But, you know, um, it, she's better at the family chore thing than me. But, um, but, you know, we have our different responsibilities. When it's trash time, it doesn't matter if she's standing next to it. She'll go, trash. You got to get the trash. And if, it, if the floor's nasty, which I never noticed, but if I ever had, I'd be like, floor, woman. No. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, but, but she, that's her job. And we have different jobs, right? I pay the bills in our family. I'm the one that organizes our finance, pay the bills. We have different responsibility and different jobs, right? You have that in your home. It's the only way to function, right? And so even if you're living with, uh, you know, other people in a single environment, you're still operating under some level of connection this way. See, that's what the Bible, you know, would describe as that nuclear level of relationship. But then you have aunts and you have uncles and you have other people. Now, they don't take out your trash, typically, right? They don't take it. That's not your, their job, but you get together with them and you have fun times with them and you do barbecues and everything else. And that's a second tier of family. And this is healthy. Not everyone can be a part of your nuclear family. It won't work if that's the way it is. See, but the way that the, the, the Bible describes the church is that we are the family of families. And so the local church operates as your nuclear family. And so as your nuclear family, it is important that if you're going to grow, there are expectations on both sides. Somebody's got to take out the trash and somebody's got to mop the floor. And if our nuclear family never talks about it, then it doesn't get done. 
right? And so as a nuclear family, the local church, we must have responsibilities. However, we must understand that our aunts and our uncles are worshiping at other churches all over the city, all over the region, all over the nation, and all over the world. And they are just as much as part of our family as we are a part of this family. We're not more family than they are. It's just a different family dynamic. And both are needed and important. So let me just, let me just paint the picture here, okay? Let's talk nuclear and then let's talk global, all right? What if, what if this family of families became committed one to another in a higher level? By the way, we have a membership class that we're gonna be launching on Saturday. It runs two times. You can sign up online or at the yellow tent, yellow table, okay? So um, we encourage you to be a part of that. What if this, this nuclear family operated in a higher level of commitment one to another? And what if we began to see that glory that rests on us through the relationship of us and God that we can then spread within the family of families? And what if together we synergistically began to operate at a higher level of impact because of that relationship? And what if, say, we've got two services now. What if we said, you know what, Sunday night we want to plant another service in a different location. Wouldn't that be awesome? And so we say Sunday night in New Haven, we're going to have a service. And then what he said, Saturday night, we're going to have a service. And then maybe we have another Sunday morning. And things begin to grow as God is continuing to grow these things. And we literally begin to make greater impact all through the city of New Haven. So that all through the city of New Haven, we have these pockets of people in our nuclear family worshiping together. And then what if we said, you know what, out of that nuclear family, we want to then plant a church in another city because we know that 82% of the population of America operates in or around cities. So if we could reach the top 10 cities of New England, we could actually transform the course of history in New England. And it just so happens that New Haven is only 47 minutes from five of the top 10 New England largest cities. And so what if we said, maybe we'll launch a church in Bridgeport. And then maybe we'll launch a church in Stanford, and then maybe we'll launch a church in Hartford, and then maybe we'll launch a church in Waterbury, and then we have five of the top ten largest cities being impacted by this nuclear family with other leaders, with you know multiple leaders all living with this same DNA and passion. And then what we said, well, we could plant a church in Boston, in Providence, in in Worcester, in uh, in uh, Springfield, and in Manchester, and now you and I are a part of a movement that is operating off of that same local DNA in every single major city in New England impacting the least churched region with the gospel of Christ on a local level in every major city. Wow. I don't know. What if it could happen in the next 10 years? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? And so you start operating with this vision on a local level because we believe in the family of families here at the local church. And then you start to say, but that's not enough. It's not enough because we have aunts and uncles. It's not enough because there's a global church and we see in scripture that if we want to really impact cities, it's not enough to plant churches in all those cities. We must also bring unity to those churches within the context of the various churches and flavors that God has ordained in that region, right? And so what we do on top of that is we start Where? With glory. Why do we start with glory? Because that's what God started with. The glory that I've given to them, or the glory that you gave me, Father, I give to them. And so we start with glory, with the glory of God. Well, what's the most effective way to bring people together and express the glory of God? Probably through worship. So we unite in nights of worship. 
We unite in times of worship together. And God, by God's grace, I, I, by his amazing favor, I, me and some of the other leadership of this church stumbled upon a movement that was doing this all over New England. And so a few weeks ago, I was in Boston with 8,000 people and 200 churches unified for the glory of God. And now in, uh, in a couple weeks, two weeks, there, there'll be another one in Maine and New Hampshire and Rhode Island and another one for university students up in Boston. And then last night, 2,000 people gathered in Connecticut, all with one purpose, not the glory of man, but the glory of God. And our aunts and uncles all come together with one purpose, to make much of Jesus and glorify him. And so we begin to see out of that what happens? This hunger for God, this prayer, we start to fulfill Second Chronicles seven fourteen. We humble ourselves, pray, seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. He hears from heaven, he forgives our sin and he heals our land. And so the glory of God begins to bring healing to our land and out of that, relationships are built. Relationships are built. Anyone that was involved in the Connecticut Night of Worship will tell you, I am, you know, they would say for themselves, I'm closer friends with other people from other churches than I have been in the past. Why? Because we got to do this together. And it builds relationship. And what comes out of relationship? Trust. And what comes out of trust? The kingdom of God is built. And so from the glory of God in worship, we go to serving our cities. And so together, many churches, one voice, we serve cities. That's why right now this church is operating, uh, building a coalition of people to bring in Convoy of Hope in the next two years. Convoy of Hope will bring an operation that will give away probably between forty dollars and $60,000 to the needs of New Haven. And we'll see thousands of people, probably ten to 15,000 people, reached and served by a coalition of churches united to serve the city of New Haven. That's awesome. But that can't happen until you have unity and relationship and trust, which comes from the glory. So you worship together and then you serve together and then you share the gospel together and you do this in every city all across New England, uniting churches together, planting churches on a local level, bringing church together on a global level. This is something worth doing. Do you follow all that? If you're new here, hi, welcome to City Church. (laughs) Next week we'll talk about how to stop sinning. Let's finish with this passage, Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. You smelling what I'm stepping in today? I hope that this inspires your heart. I hope that this starts to build something in you that says, it's worth staying in New England. Let me be the first to say, okay? New England is cold. San Diego is warm. Miami, warm. New England, cold. People are mean. It's the least church region in America. There's a lot of good reasons to find a good job somewhere else. But you know what? Someone's got to look at this region, see the potential of the Holy Spirit, and say, I will give myself for this. I will give myself for this bigger call, for this bigger purpose because what if what if what if in our day in 10 years we saw a church starting in every one of those major cities we saw the body of Christ coming together in all those major cities and we saw the unity that they talked about in that Acts chapter 2 one accord what would happen the body of Christ would get the reputation of those that turn the world upside down. 
Ephesians chapter four, let's make it practical today. I urge you therefore, this is verse one, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness with patience. Do those three words describe you? Because let me tell you, you will block unity if you do not operate in those three specific words, humility, gentleness, and patience. We fail in these areas. There's good news. The Bible says, if you fail, you have an advocate with the Father, Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. Repent, turn away. He'll have mercy on you. Get back up. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Look at this next line. This one's a barn burner. Bearing with one another in love. There's a secret in that line. Let me explain it. How do you bear with, come on, you all have that annoying person in your life. Raise your hand if you've got that annoying person in your life. Come on. Some of you can't raise your hand because you're sitting next to him. I understand. I understand. You all have that annoying person in your life. You do. How do you bear with that person? Oh, they are so annoying. Why do they want me to pray for the same thing every day? You know, like whatever it is that's driving you nuts about them. How do you bear with that person? How? You do it in love. In love. In love. What does that mean? This is what Titus meant when he said, keep yourself in the love of God. You do it by staying in love. The gospel, the fact that I'm identified with Christ, that he's forgiven me of all my sin, that I have joy unspeakable regardless of circumstance because of my alignment that is perfect, not built upon my own ability, but built upon Jesus's sacrifice for me. That alignment enables me to be blameless before God and it fills my heart with joy and love and out of that love there is a well that will never run dry so that annoying person I can always be patient humble and gentle towards because I've got a well of love that has nothing to do with my own ability to conjure up love it has everything to do with the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and so I bear with one another by staying in his love Eager, and this is the one, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Question for you, personally. Are you eager? Some of us would say, I mean, they offended me, they hurt me, I'm just going to avoid them. I'm just going to not deal with it, I'm just going to avoid them, I'm going to move on. I don't go to that church, I'm not a part of that thing, I don't see them anymore, I'm going to move on. Okay, you just disobeyed God. Because the scripture says it's not enough to just play it cool. Instead, you must be eager. Instead, you must be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And here's the tough part. Some of them don't deserve forgiveness. Let me give you a quick revelation. Neither do you neither do you. But God in his mercy foreordained you, drew you out, and forgave you of all your sins, cleansed you of all unrighteousness. And that's to so deeply humble you that you and I can turn around to someone who's not even asked for forgiveness and doesn't even see anything wrong with what they've done and forgive them and unite. It doesn't mean that you've got to be their best friend. It doesn't mean that you have to see them every day, but it does mean that you've got to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Eager couple things quickly as we finish up. Is it possible you're not united with God? Have you not placed your faith in Christ and believed in the good news? If you haven't, you'll have opportunity today to be united with God. That's the foundation. 
God's glory fills your heart. But is it possible that you've not been united with that nuclear, that nuclear family? Maybe it's a person in your family or a person in your close relationships. Or is it possible that on that third tier, you've not been united with an individual that's beyond your nuclear family, church person or something else in that nature? Maybe God would inspire you today to be eager. Come on, stand to your feet. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to pause and to see what you're doing in Connecticut, in New Haven, and beyond. Thank you, God, that you're working things that we've not seen in our day, things that will unite the body of Christ, things that will bring a new level of life and freedom and transformation to our cities and to our region. Thank you that now is the time for awakening. God, I pray that you'd inspire every one of us now, that you'd spark inside of us this reality. And I pray that as we pause for this moment, stand in your presence and declare that you are amazing, that you would speak to us about our next step in unity, God. We hope you've been challenged and encouraged by this City Church podcast. Visit City Church at www.ourcitychurch.org.